The fantasy football portion of this podcast will begin at the 11-minute mark. Fans of the Floyd should keep listening.
Hey you, out there in the cold, getting lonely, getting old. Welcome uh, back to the Road Bomb Podcast. Um, it's been too long. Um, we are back and we're going to be rolling uh, heavy as we uh, head into fantasy football season. Today is a uh, special edition, as you may have noticed, with the long Pink Floyd wind-up intro um, to all my league mates from the Pink Floyd division of the Scott Fish Bowl, uh, version 11. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, for those of you who skipped the intro, we're going to be getting into the football uh, now. Uh, and today's episode is, um, you know, sort of a special thing, sort of a funky thing. I, I want to talk about the fishbowl. I want to encourage as many people as possible uh, to donate to Fantasy Cares because it's one of the coolest things uh, that this community does. And props, as always, to Scott Fish uh, and to Ryan uh, McDowell and John Bosch and everybody involved. Um, in helping out uh, with Fantasy Cares. So what I'm going to do today uh, is I'm going to go through my draft uh, in the fishbowl, pick by pick, um, not with the typical thing that we do where I sort of justify the player selection. Uh, you know, I'm going to be putting out the Rotobon 500 uh, in the coming weeks, uh, and all of my player takes are going to be in there. You're going to get that if it's something that you want. Um, but what t- today is more about um, how I draft, team building, roster building, uh, and you know what my thought process was as I worked through this draft. So we'll talk a little bit about the fishbowl and how it's different than a lot of other drafts and, and how that affected my thought process and, and things that I chose to do at various points. Um, but I think properly put into context, once we get that part out of the way, we can look at this in terms of how do we think during a draft. Um, and this is something that I you know, agonize over. It's something that I pay a lot of attention to. I do a lot of self-analysis when it comes to my personal behavior in a draft room. Obviously, um, over the years, I have taken in a lot of info on how other people draft against me and draft against us in general. Um, and obviously, we always have ADP, um, you know, for a specific uh, take on um drafting behavior uh, for a given uh, time period. So um, we're going to talk about all of that as we go through this. Hopefully it's not going to take too long, uh, but I'm not going to short you. I'm going to try to get all my thoughts out uh, and we'll go through this. If I have time at the end, um, and I will mark this with the time uh, for my fellow league mates, I'm going to go through and look at, and look at our draft um, sort of top down and, and talk about the teams that I uh, liked in particular uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so welcome back to the podcast. we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, I'm going to have some guests in August. Uh, I already have had a chat with Lord Reeves. We're going to bring him back in uh, and he will talk me down off my tight end ledge as he has done uh, for the last couple of years. Anyway, um, with all that said, onward and upward, um, let's get into um, this fishbowl draft. So, as I said, uh, the fishbowl is unique and I'm just going to a little bit of a wind up here for those people who are not familiar with uh, the Scott Fishbowl. It is a big invitational pro-am kind of fantasy football tournament. It has got now, I think, closer to 2,000 participants than 1,000. It went over 1,000 a couple of years ago. So you're talking about having to beat, you know, just basically the entire fantasy football world. Um, I think over 40,000 people applied to get into the fishbowl this year. Uh, so it's, you know, it's it's a big deal in terms of the community. Uh, obviously, your odds of actually winning the thing are infinitesimal. Um, you know, you might as well, you know, go try to win, uh, you know, a, a, a GPP on DraftKings or something like that. It is a long shot. Um, and 
you know, there are some specific scoring stuff. It gets funky. You, it's tight end premium. You get points for first downs. So um, y- when we go through this, your idea of player values, don't don't get thrown. It's quite possible that your take on a player is dead on, and this scoring system and format move that player around a little bit. Don't get too hung up on where player X is uh, in the totem pole. Um, you know, it's not a big deal if the fishbowl stuff gets it gets crazy it gets all over the place and this is a draft where there really is no adp going in people try to create it but it doesn't work i mean there's so many different ways to approach this and scott fish tends to make the scoring fairly flat so there's a lot of ways to team build and you will see players going four rounds apart division to division it's just the way this thing is and it quite frankly it's a lot of fun because of that um so um what else do we want to throw in here okay two other quick things before we start going through my picks um kickers were a big factor in this league scott threw kickers into the mix you don't have to roster any you don't have to play any but they are flex capable so a lot of people were leaning in and taking kickers my philosophy just so you know um i'll just get this out of the way early so we don't talk about it all the way through um i looked at the scoring and i just wasn't moved i didn't think the scoring was so aggressive that the the kickers would have you know that much value and what it really came down to was I'm trying to uh, build upside throughout my lineup throughout the course of the year I want to use my free agent money to go after any upside that might help my team or to you know to fill in any cracks that might develop over time as we go through the season Uh, I don't want to have kickers on my mind because when it gets to the end I just don't think that having kickers in my lineup is a way to differentiate and separate myself from the pack Um, I just don't think they have enough scoring ceiling Um, you know I you can make an argument against it, but that's the determination uh, that I came to. Now, the second part before we get into the picks themselves. The fishbowl is sort of a multi-tiered event. Getting through the regular season is similar to getting through the regular season in a typical fantasy league, right? There is a, It's a teensy bit easier to get into the playoffs, maybe. Um, you know, uh, half the teams get in. Some leagues, maybe only 4 out of 12 or 4 out of 10 get in. So getting into the playoffs is not you know, super hard to do. There's point totals that can get you in. Um, it, you, you know, it's, it's Scott sets the league up well in terms of one loss luck. You can lose all your games. If you score enough points, you can still make the playoffs. So it's a, fair, a very fair system in terms of getting in. Once you get into the playoffs, it's very different than any playoffs you've ever played. The first round is somewhat reasonable or normal in that you've got about, I think, a 50% chance to advance. Um, you know, you score well, you advance. But what's great about the first round is that if you score poorly, you're out. You know, it's not like a typical fantasy league where you pay one, you play one opponent, and if he you know scores really poorly, you can sort of gump your way into the next round. In the fishbowl, the top half advances, the lower half doesn't in the opening playoff round. So you need to get the job done, which, which is good. Um, now, in the second and final rounds of the fishbowl, it's like a GPP. Um, and only a few, like in in the conference, the conference winner advances. In the finals, I think there's I think there's going to be 16 teams in the finals this year. One wins. So think about a league where you beat like everybody in your conference. You know, over a hundred people. You make it to the final. It's a huge accomplishment. And you're gonna still, and in that final, you're gonna have like a one in sixteen chance of winning. So it's a very unforgiving format in that way. And because of that. I think particularly people like me who've been in the fishbowl a long time and you're sort of sick of making the playoffs and getting knocked out. I I think I've only missed the playoffs once in the fishbowl, but I've never had much deep playoff success. And I think part of the reason for that is because I've concentrated too much on getting there and not enough on what is my team going to look like 
in the playoff format if I make it. So this year I made a concession, which was basically I'm not going to worry so much about getting in. I'm going to hope that the quality of my picks and my team just sort of gets me there organically. What I'm really trying to do is create a team where if things break right for me, I've got all kinds of upside scoring potential in those GPP type weeks if I get there. Um, so a little bit of a long windup, but for those of you who don't know the fishbowl, that's the dynamic we're dealing here uh, for the rest of this podcast. All right, that's that. Let's um, let's dig in. Um, so I selected the fifth overall pick. I did that before I really looked at the scoring. Um, I don't know if I would have changed my mind and gone with a different direction. Now, if I had known what my league was going to do, quite frankly, I would have moved back um, because I could have gotten players that would have made me happy later uh, and then switch my picks around a little bit, got an earlier, uh, you know, third round pick, that kind of thing. But overall, I'm happy with what I did. And the one thing that I liked is being in the middle. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of being towards the middle of the draft in two QB formats because I avoid the long runs where I can just get completely smoked at the position. And it allows me to be a little bit more aggressive with quarterbacks in terms of not taking them um you know you know like to me playing it safe in a two qb format is taking your qbs early being aggressive is trying to allow some qbs to slip to you but the way you do that is by not taking them which is stressful so it's you know it's that it's that push pull uh inside your head um so for me i had the five my anticipation was that i was going to get Dak prescott um and what makes this sort of interesting is that i felt pretty confident that the quarterbacks that i wanted we're going to be gone. I did not think that Allen would get to me. I did not think that Kyler Murray would get to me. I did not think uh, that Mahomes would get to me. And uh, as it turned out, um, Mahomes and Kyler did not. But Allen did because McCaffrey and Kelsey both went early. Uh, Kelsey went two. McCaffrey went three. So I was then sitting there with a choice I didn't anticipate. Um, and I had built a fairly detailed plan of how I was going to build around Prescott, which Cowboys I was going to bring in. I One of the reasons I went with Dak over, say, a Lamar, or, or really there are a lot of different options you could go with, uh, the, but the reason I like Dak is, is because there were a lot of ways I could go about stacking him, and I didn't have to lean in early to get my stacks done. I could sort of wait um, for either Lamb or uh, Cooper or even a guy like Gallup to fall to me. Uh, and I also thought that the Zeke pairing was a unique thing that I could also do. So I liked the Dak start. And when Allen and Dak were both on the board, I thought long and hard about, well, maybe I'll just go with Dak since I've got sort of a, a pre-strategy that involved him. But me being me, me having Allen ranked higher than Prescott, and, and, and materially so because Allen is just has got such a massive share of that offense and he's not coming off of an injury. So I decided to just go with the better player. And I took Allen. Um, so going from there, now I have to tweak my strategy a little bit. I need to toss out all that Dallas stuff that I planned on doing. Uh, and I need to find a different way to build. Luckily, it's a slow draft. I didn't have to you know, figure out a new strategy in like five or ten minutes or something like that. I had some time. Um, and when I came up in the second round... You know, my thought process was if a truly elite running back gets to me, you know, um, I would probably do that. If for some reason, like in some drafts, Saquon got around to this pick, I would have done that. But none of those guys got there. So it came down 
for me, the guys on my board that I was looking at were Tyreek Hill, Steph Diggs, and DK Metcalf. I wanted guys who could give me really elite scores. And Hill and Metcalf were really the two that caught my eye. You know, Diggs, more of getting that Allen to Diggs hookup. And I almost went with Diggs, but I finally just, the more I thought about it, the more I said, you know what, Tyreek Hill, to me, could be high volume, you know, plus smash games. So he's going to be a floor guy, plus smash games. I get a piece of Mahomes in the KC offense. It allows me to go into potentially head-to-head matchups with the Mahomes during those key weeks where I've got Hill and I've got Josh Allen. There's a way to sort of get around Mahomes if things break right for me. So I liked the idea of bringing in Hill, um, getting a piece of a different offense and hoping my hookup would stay on the board for me another round. Um, and as it turned out, um, Diggs and Metcalf both got back to me the next round. Um, I thought briefly about maybe going with Hawkinson, who is the last elite tight end on my board, but I, I just felt that third round Hawkinson uh, was a little bit like uh, third round Kyle Pitts in this format. I think it's justifiable, but for me, I'd rather with, go with guys who... Uh, you know, are proven in terms of what they're going to do. And in my case, I get the hookup with Diggs. So Allen, Tyreek Hill, Diggs is my start. Um, I let Metcalf Metcalf go, even though I felt he was actually a better player than Diggs. um, I was hoping maybe he'd sneak back around to me. Um, As it turned out, um, and again, Metcalf wasn't the only guy. I was sitting there like going, you know, hey, uh, Hawkinson could get back around to me. AJ Brown could get back around to me. Justin Jefferson, Michael Thomas, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and DK. All of those guys, in my mind, were going to make a really good fourth-round pick for me. Um, I really wasn't looking at running backs at that point. I was, you know, if if it had gone that way, maybe I would have. But I was hoping not to take a running back in the fourth. As it turns out. Um, uh, I, um, Thomas, A.J. Brown, Lamb, um, and Metcalf were all there. Um, and I took Metcalf. So now I'm feeling really good because on my board, I've got three legit number one wide receivers. Uh, Metcalf I had right there with Tyreek Hill in terms of total overall value. Um, but I felt Hill's, again, I felt Hill's floor justified him over Metcalf. So um, at this point, I've got a build that doesn't exactly fit the format. I don't think a lot of people went with wide receiver-based builds unless they were going pure zero RB. Uh, But I felt like my guys were so good that it justified zigging a little bit here. Uh, Now, next round is where things get a little weird for me because I did not want to go running back until I felt like I really had receiver and quarterback and maybe even tight end locked up. And then I wanted to try to roll out some value running backs that could get me by. Um, I didn't anticipate J.K. Dobbins being there at 56 overall. I just didn't think he'd be there. So when he was, you know, I had to adjust my thinking, uh, you know, whether tight end or, or quarterback or whatever the heck I was going to do. You know, the one guy I was hoping was going to get to me was Trevor Lawrence. He went like two picks in front of me. Um, so at that point, you know, I had elite receivers. I didn't have another receiver on the board who I felt was truly elite. It wasn't like I was going to get another Metcalf, Tyreek Hill type. So even though it was going against my overall strategy, there were enough quarterbacks left on the board that weren't of Lawrence's caliber. To me, not quite, because with Lawrence, I'm getting locked in week one starter, plus a guy with plenty of floor and plenty of ceiling. I was sort of getting it all, and I was happy, but I didn't get him. So I took Dobbins. Now, I'm I'm okay with Dobbins, but it changes my build a little bit. So now I need to start 
opening my mind about what I'm doing, saying, okay, let's pivot a little bit. Come back around, and between the time um, where I take Dobbins and where I take Lance in the next round, um, there's a QB run. Carr goes, Mayfield goes, Carson Wentz goes, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick goes. Now, I didn't really want any of those guys, so none of those picks really upset me in terms of crossing names off my board, but it upped the whole QB thing. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this could be a run. Do I want to pull my QB now? Because I really wanted to get one of the high ceiling guys. Um, and really on my board at this point, it came down to Lance and Justin Fields. They were both on the board. I felt like there was almost a 0% chance that they would be on the board next time I come around. Now, looking at the way some other leagues panned out, I may have gotten away with it if I just left them both on the board. Maybe, based on overall ADP. But in my league, I take Lance at 65, and Justin Fields is gone by 68. So I feel like I probably made the right decision. But the, but the thought process is this. Again, I'm trying to put together a team where, in my mind, if I get into those last two weeks, I've got a team that can put up a huge number. And with Trey Lance as my QB2, feeling very confident that by that time he will be the starter, um, I decided to go with that upside play to actually be able to pull out in a winner-take-all situation um, Trey Lance and Josh Allen as my quarterbacks. Um, now, once I select Lance, um, and by the way, if Lance and... Fields had gone around the bend and I hadn't had a shot at them, I would have held off on quarterback there. I would have said, nah, I'll wait. I'm going to push the envelope. And if I had ended up doing that, I would have almost definitely taken uh, Javante Williams at that point. As it turns out, he went three picks later. Um, so now I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I've got my elite receivers. I actually have a number one running back in Dobbins. Um, you know, who I feel like is on, if he's not the number one running back, he's certainly, um, you know, on the edge of that. Um, and just just for the sake of it, I, I should probably have this at my fingertips, but um, just so you guys know, um, let me see here. There was a better way to do that. My apologies. I'm just going to pull up the running backs. Uh, in my leagues, just so, just so you guys know, yeah, Dobbins was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. He was the, he's the RB21 in my draft. So Carson went ahead of him. Swift went ahead of him. Najee Harris went ahead of him. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went ahead of him. Gibson. Uh, a lot of guys going ahead of Dobbins who I, you know, really don't have much separation. In fact, I have Dobbins ahead of a couple of those guys. So um, I felt really good about that pick. Um, now, so we come back, I get Lance. And at that point, I feel like my options are open. I, I'm not, you know, pigeonholed into my next player. Now, I'd like a tight end if I can get it. Um, so Fant was circled on my board. The one guy I was saying to myself, well, you know, I'll take him ahead of Fant. Um if he gets to me, is Brandon Ayuk. Uh, as soon as I drafted Trey Lance, what I did is I circled Ayuk's name and then I circled Debo's name, hoping to get one or both of those players and really have some strong hookup action getting into the playoffs where I can get Allen to Diggs and I can get uh, Lance to Ayuk and or Debo. So I was really excited when Ayuk made it all the way back around to me at 80. Um, I took him. 
there was some hesitation like, well, do I consider taking Fant here, getting the guy who I think can be an elite tight end and sort of save me from losing out on those early elite tight ends, um, or do I get my hookup? I decided to go with the hookup, and lucky for me, uh, at 89, when I came back up in the eighth round, uh, Noah Fant was still there for me. Uh, so that was a huge pick on my board because it kept me in that elite tight end game. You know, regardless of how you view Fant in real football, he's an offense-first tight end uh, with legit long speed. Um, and getting that package in the eighth round for me was big. Um, uh, I was sitting there looking at, like, you know, like I said, you know, uh, Fant, uh, you know, uh, Debo or T. Higgins. Um, and when it got up to me, Hig with, with one guy in front of me, Higgins and Fant were both on the board. So I knew I was either going to get Fant or T. Higgins. So I was happy about that. Um, Higgins went. Uh, I took Fant. I would have taken Fant if they were both there. Um, would have been painful, but I would have done it. Uh, and at this point, I'm starting to feel pretty good about my team building, right? I've got... A running game in Dobbins, so I really only have to fill one more running back spot on most weeks. I've got four receivers on my board who are elite. Ayuk was the 25th receiver off my board, but I have him ranked higher than that. Um, so I've got three guys who are well within my tight end one grouping, and I've got another guy who's well within my tight end two grouping. I'm feeling really good at that position. Still get fan. So tight, uh, I'm feeling really good at quarterback. I'm feeling okay at running back. I'm feeling great at receiver. Now I've got my tight end. Um, so after eight rounds, I feel like I can do, at this point, whatever I need to do. Whatever the best player on my board who comes back around me next couple, next couple of rounds, I can take that player, which is great. Oh, and uh, sorry, I said tight end grouping couple seconds back there, I meant wide receiver grouping. Um, okay, so again, after eight rounds, feeling very good in terms of, I, I like everything I've done for the most part. I'll, you know, obviously people are going to be taking players you want. That's always going to happen in any draft, but I'm happy with what I did. I, I you know, you know, the fan, fan getting to me really helped me on my board. You know, other people may feel differently about fan, but on my board, it was a big deal. Uh, so now, um, coming up with the eighth pick in the ninth round at 104, um, I feel like I can do whatever I need to do. I'm happy taking another great receiver if one gets to me. I'm happy taking a slipping quarterback if that's the best thing on the board. What I really want to do here is lock down some more running backs because I feel like I can afford to do that now, uh, particularly if a young uh, running back gets to me. Because in this format, I really want to go with youth, particularly at the running back position, because I want guys who can still be performing well at the end of the year and rookies who tend to ramp up as the year progressive uh, progresses tend to fit that model for me, okay? So I was really hoping for a Trey Sermon um, to, to come back around, maybe a Chase Edmonds. Um, uh, if that didn't happen, I was hoping that maybe Antonio Brown or Claypool or Devontae Smith would be there for me. None of them made it. So I ended up going with the Jets' Michael Carter, and it was really, a, it's an upside move. Uh, it's really the first pick I, I've taken, quite frankly, on my board where I felt like I was taking a bit of a risk because, hey, if here's the basic truth with what's going on with the Jets. I think Carter's the guy they want to go take the job. I think that's pretty clear. But, and, and this goes for Sermon as well, who was also a guy I was considering taking, but this particular scheme is a scheme where backs sort of click in it or they don't. Uh, sometimes they don't click initially, they click later. That's That can happen. But we've seen many times that the favorite in a Shanahan backfield or a Kubiak backfield is not always the guy who ends up taking it. Um, so 
in that sense, I feel like there's some risks to Carter. There's some risk to Trey Sermon. Uh, there's some risk to Wayne Gallman, uh, to Elijah Mitchell, to anybody who's a new back in this system. And by the way, um, on the Jets, the only back who's really well versed in the system is going to be Tevin Coleman. So for Michael P. Ryan, you know, we have similar concerns. Okay. Um, but having all that said, my film work on Michael Carter said to me that he's a guy who could excel in this system. The Jets like him. The combined brain trust took Carter. The GM took Pirine last year, but the new coaching staff wasn't involved in that. Pirine was not taken with the stretch scheme in mind. Carter was. Um, so for me, if Carter hits to get him in the ninth round, can change the trajectory of my team. All of a sudden, if he hits, I could be a team without a weakness. Um, now, obviously, that's one potential outcome. There are some bad outcomes, too. But because of that, I felt okay taking Carter. Again, this is a pro-am. This is a go-for-it kind of league for me. There's no financial loss if my team craps out. Um, I'm not... You know, I would rather go for it. As I said earlier in this, I'd rather go for it than play it safe. And this pick is probably, um, through nine rounds along with Lance, is probably the best example of that. Okay, so I take Carter. And really what that does for me is it it sort of solidifies where I'm at in terms of I can do anything I want right now. Now I have a pair of running backs, and I've got my tight end. I've got four receivers that I love. I've got my two quarterbacks. The only unsettling thing for me right now um, after making that pick is that Lance may not start week one. Um, and, uh, you know, this is like, two weeks after that, and I still don't think Lance, you know, is a lock to start week one. I think it's potentially Garoppolo. We'll get to that in a little bit. So coming up at 10, uh, what I was looking for was Tyler Boyd, because I think he fits this format really well. I didn't get Boyd, but LaVisca stayed on the board for me. And at 113 overall, how can I be upset about adding LaVisca Chenault's upside as my wide receiver five? This guy's ranked inside my top 30. Uh, his upside puts him more up into the wide receiver two range. If Chenault were to hit for me, I could have five top 20 receivers. You gotta love that. So uh, very, very comfortable with the Chenault pick. Um, uh, that was only, you know, that was the short go round after Carter. Carter 104, Chanel 113. Now I'm going to have to wait until 128, the eighth pick of the 11th round for my next pick. Um, and I was hoping for more running backs. I thought this would be the time to maybe, if I could slide in one more running back that I really liked, who I felt like was weekly startable, all of a sudden my team could start looking a little, little you know, really good. Um, and what I was hoping for was Zach, uh, Zach Moss. Um, you know, ADP-wise, um, on my board, it said I could get away with skipping on him, taking Ch Chenault, and I had a really good chance of getting Moss. It didn't happen. I, I took a shot, and it didn't work out. Uh, going back on this, it's a 50-50 whether I would take Moss over Chenault. I don't know. It's a tough call. Um, I probably wouldn't have, to be honest. Um, but it's close. It, it, it's a coin flip. It's hard to say what I would do in the moment. Um, I, the, this decision was made where the idea was better chance of me hitting Chenault and then Moss than going Moss than Chenault. Um, and, you know, I got burned a little. Um, now, and the reason I, the, you know, Moss, some, some of you might be going, Moss, I mean, who cares? You, you don't need Zach Moss. But for me, if I had Josh Allen his number one receiver, and Zach Moss. I'm feeling pretty damn good when the Bills get inside the 10-yard line. So that was sort of the thought process. Doesn't mean he would have to be in my lineup every week, but you'd always feel good about Zach Moss being in your lineup um, with Allen as your quarterback. Um, the one other thing I was thinking about with that pick, 
Um, you know, if Zach Wilson had gotten to me, or if Sam Darnold had gotten to me, I would have probably nabbed my QB3 there. Michael Pittman is another one where if he had gotten to me, I would have taken those guys. Um, oh, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So from from the Chenault pick, I go to 128-1108, and that ends up being Jalen Waddle. Now, I'm very happy about Jalen Waddle. I like Jalen Waddle. He's a continuation of what I've been doing, which is just keep adding guys who have a lot of upside. The other thing I like about Waddle is, while he may not be all that and a bag of chips you know, in the first month or even the second, you know, Miami is a team, think about it, Parker, Will Fuller, Preston Williams, right? These are guys who are either coming off of injuries or have had major injuries. The idea that none of these guys are going to get hurt, to me, is a long shot. Waddle, they leaned in. They used an elite pick on him. I would be really surprised if in the second half of the season, a a healthy Jalen Waddle would not be a big part of that offense. So that was my thought process going there. The thought process is when the chips are down towards the end of the year, maybe in the playoffs, this guy might be he might not even be a consideration for my bench. He might be a locked-in starter who I'm just giddy to have. He's got that potential. That was the thought process. So that ends the um, the first half of the draft. It's a 22-round draft, um, and you have 11 starters. So you draft 11 starters and 11 bench. So one of my thought processes going in was that you know, that was sort of the dividing line in the draft. You draft 11 starters, so you're drafting starters in the first half and bench in the second. Now, obviously, it's not going to work out perfectly that way. You're going to have misses in the first half. You're going to have injuries in the first half. You might take your your third or even fourth quarterback, some people, in the first half of the draft, which, you know, that, that can be a, a good way to do it. But every time you're taking a player who's really a bench player in the first half, you are putting pressure on yourself to find starters in the second half. What I wanted to do, ideally, was to put as little of that pressure on me as possible, um, you know, to fill, to get as many locked-in guys as possible. Um, So, um, when I moved over to the 12 spot, I felt, you know, good about things. One tight end, two quarterbacks, everybody else I drafted can be a weekly starter, or at least I feel that way, I'm projecting that way. So there is some liberation moving over. But even though I'm in the second half of the draft, my, my goal really is to still draft as many guys, you know, and this is a Rotobon, we say a Rotobon thing, we say this every year, but our goal with almost every pick is to who's the guy we can take in this spot that fits our team build and will crush his draft position. That's who we're looking for. Now, did I take that swing with this pick? Not really, okay? This was really the first like defensive pick I made. Uh, I took Gus Edwards, and my hope was that either A.J. Dillon or Daryl Henderson would make it back around to me. That was the thought process. And I, to be honest, I thought they would, um, and they didn't. So th- I made a defensive pick, and it cost me a little bit. Now, look, I get Gus Edwards, and in my defense, I'm taking this guy after his ADP. His ADP was, I think, three or four picks higher. I don't have it right in front of me, but I, I know I made a point... And, and this is where maybe I'm acting like an idiot. I made a point. I didn't want to take Gus, Gus Edwards ahead, ahead of his ADP because it's just too much of an upside-limiting kind of thing because I already have a running back from that team. But the other side of the coin, and in my defense, uh, it is a defensive pick, but I need to solidify some kind of ground game. I need to have something I can lean on. If Michael Carter ends up stinking, doesn't pick up the scheme, he gets hurt, um, you know, I need some type of option. And at least with... Gus, I'm A, backing up my A back. If something happens to Dobbins, now I've got the starter. 
I mean, Gus Edwards without Dobbins could be worth more than Dobbins with Edwards, right? So there are, there are plenty of good things about this pick, but I don't like what I'm giving away. And as it turns out, um, uh, two picks later, A.J. Dillon went. Three picks later, Daryl Henderson went. And those were two upside guys who were really high on my board. So that part hurt. I ended up having to take Singletary at 152. That's the 1308. Um, and, this, and this brings up, you know... Um, a point that I want to make. Now, I got burned this time, but when I looked at my board, I looked to the left, and I sort of estimated in my mind, you know, how many running backs are going to go, and I didn't think that the people there would take the players. Just based on who they had, I thought receivers would go, um, and I was wrong, but it, 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 it brings up something that I want to just point out, and I think it's it's sort of a lost art because so few people these days actually look at the the draft grid when they draft. They look at their queue, they look at the player pool, they look at the chat, they look at their sheet, they look at Roto World or whatever the heck they call Roto World now. So, you know, I would urge upon people, yes, have the draft room open right in front of you on your computer screen, but for me, on a second monitor, I always have the draft grid setup because at a moment's notice I can look at my place on the grid whether the draft is moving to my left or to my right I can look and itemize how many players have been taken at each position and I can make a pretty good educated guess as to what's going to be available available to me when I come back I would really strongly cons um, encourage people who don't have that embedded in their process to do it Look at the grid. The grid is going to the color coded grid is going to help you get take a quick look at what is probably going to happen. The shorter the span is, the more useful it can be. But even when you are an extreme pick, when you are a back to back guy at the end of the round, before you make those picks, you can go, okay, well, you take a look at what's transpired up till now. You can take an educated guess. How many running backs do I think are going to make it? based on what's happened so far. It can help you. You know, there's ADP that is like the general ADP. It's the whole world. That's what ADP is. But then there are also things that are going to affect where players get taken within your individual draft. And that's, it's not ADP, but it's ways to see what's going to happen within your draft. And what do we use ADP for? Hello, that's what we use it for. So it's anytime you can use what's going on in your draft to predict the future, well, then you're giving your, yourself a tool that rides side saddle with ADP, it makes you more informed, it gives you a better chance. So I really do think that's something everybody should get in the habit of doing. Keep the draft grid up in addition to the draft room. Okay, I'm done, done with that. So I end up taking Singletary. Um, I get a little piece of the Bills offense, sort of a, you know, a B minus version of the Zach Moss that I wanted earlier. But hey, we can get too overconfident sometimes um, in, or too confident in our player eval ability right you know as much as i think moss is the better fit here for a, a few reasons singletary is the better runner he's more elusive uh he's really good between the tackles you know um you never know what's going to happen if devin singletary finally stops fumbling if he just doesn't put the ball on the ground i think he's gonna probably have a, a pretty good role so to get him at thir in the 13th at 152 um, when i do need running backs and with dylan and henderson both going you know, Singletary was a reasonably good pick there. I wasn't going to take Jamal Williams. I wasn't going to take a, a J.D. McKissick. I thought briefly about a Lat Murray or a Gio Bernard or a Philip Lindsay. But I felt with my team build um, and the fact that I like the Bills as a team, what the heck, go with Singletary. So I've ground out, you know, a couple running backs here. Um, 
with Gus and Singletary. Not a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, but I had to do it. It's one of those things, I mean, I got to get a couple running backs in my roster because <laughs> they're required, right? Um, so now I have pushed my quarterback problem off about as long as my acid stomach can handle it. And uh, the quarterbacks I wanted have all gone. Um, none of the QBs I was hoping I could slide in there as a third quarterback really made it to me. So at this point on my board, it was pretty clear that the best solution to my problem is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. And it feels really early. Even though his ADP is right about where I'm taking him, I think I actually got him after his ADP a little bit, um, although it may have changed a little since then. I haven't looked in a week. Um, here's the interesting thing about the Jimmy Garoppolo pick. Now, I made it. And I felt better when I made it because it's like, okay, I no longer have a, air quote, QB problem. But there were good players left on the board when I did this. So I lost something to make this pick. Now, here's where things for me got a little interesting. I said to myself, well, all right, I need Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm thinking about him. Who else in my league is actually thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo here and now? And in my mind, I'm like, nobody. None of these guys are going to take him. But then I'm looking at the ADP, and it says, well, by ADP, he actually should have been gone like two picks ago. So am I actually going to let him sit, you know, pass on him at 161 and hope he gets to me at 176? You know, well, well more than a round later? That's a tough move to make. But the more I looked at it, I'm like, well, why is Garoppolo going, you know, in the 160s? What is what is about that? Why is he going 158, 160, 165? What's making him go in this area? And it sort of hit me. I said, you know, probably the reason people are taking Garoppolo here is the same reason I'm doing it. You know, they took Trey Lance and they're nervous, right? They don't want to get burned. So I looked up, I went into the ADP, and Josh's ADP thing is really incredible. And I was able to look, all the people who drafted Garoppolo... There were like five of them who took Garoppolo and who didn't take Lance. And hey, a lot of them took him later than this, right? So now I'm looking at my mind, well, okay, Garoppolo goes here and that's his ADP, but it's sort of a product of the way things are breaking out. It's a product of the Lance people reaching for him to protect themselves. I'm the Lance person. So if I don't reach to protect myself, is he going to stay on the board for me? I think the answer probably is yes. And I think it would have been a really savvy move for me to say, no, I'm not taking Garoppolo here. But when it came right down to it, I didn't trust the other 11 people in the room to not stick it to me. All it takes is one person to go, ah, I'm going to take Garoppolo. I like, I, maybe someone likes my build. They don't, they're worried about maybe I could beat them or something like that. And they're like, well, I'll just take his quarterback on him. You don't, like, I don't know the people in the room well enough to assume that's not going to happen. So I just bit the bullet and took him. But I really do think it would have been savvy and at least gutsy for me to leave Garoppolo on the table there. Um, and try to get him the next time around. Now, here's the upside part of the story. If I had done that, I would have taken Paris Campbell, almost definitely. Um, but I took Garoppolo. And then when I come back at 176, hey, Paris Campbell's still on the board. So the truth of the matter is, if I had flipped this, I would have felt really smart if it had worked out this way, but it worked out. I would have gone Garoppolo. I went Garoppolo Campbell. If I'd done it the other way, I would have gone Campbell, hopefully Garoppolo. So it all sort of comes out in the wash. Uh, but I just want to sort of point that out there because I think the thought process, this is the kind of thinking you need to do in a draft. You know, I didn't just look at Garoppolo's ADP. I tried to look deeper. And then, but of course, then when I find the wrinkle, I didn't have the guts to take it. That's a whole 
another conversation we could have. But I think this is the kind of thought process you really do want to engage in. Okay, so coming up in the 15th round, 176, I take Paris Campbell. Really love this pick because, you know, again, this is the player I would have taken last time. Um, I love his upside. I feel like Campbell's an interesting case because we've got so many injuries in such a short period of time. We want to say this guy's injury prone. And I think that would be a fair thing to say, but you know, broken hand, you know, some of this stuff is just so random. Last year's hit was a helmet to the knee. You know, it, it, it just, it caught him the wrong way. I do think there's a possibility that Campbell does end up being one of these injury-prone guys. But he's also a guy who I think healthy is locked in to a really good role on this offense. So for me, to take him as my wide receiver, um, you know, at this point, what is he, my wide receiver, seven, I feel really good about that. And if Campbell can stay healthy, he could be a locked-in weekly starter for me. He could end up being a better weekly player than Waddle or Chenault or even Ayuk, for all we know, if he ends up doing what he's capable of doing in this scheme. Okay, um, So really like the Campbell pick. Uh, then I come back. So I've gotten away from the running backs, which I really, the whole focus of the second half of this draft for me, because I went away from the position pretty hard early, should be running backs. I've got two. Now I went away with Garoppolo and Campbell, and I come back at 185 in the 16th round with Kenneth Gainwell. Now, this is great because, you know, again, I lost out on some of the upside anti-fragility guys, Dylan and Henderson, guys I was targeting. So Gainwell is... I don't love him as much as those guys, but he does have an organic path to the gig because as much as I think, you know, obviously, um, you know, when you look at this team, um, how do I want to put this? I mean, Miles Sanders, you know, if, if I'm betting even money on Gainwell and Sanders, I would bet on Sanders. He's a bigger back. He's more experienced back in the system. You know, he's bigger, stronger, faster, all that stuff. The thing is, as I've mentioned, and I think I mentioned it in one of my 4 for 4 articles, I think Gainwell's just a better football player. He's better at the game. So at some point, there could be a, a friction point here, if you will. If Sanders is not getting it done, if he's continuing to fumble, if he's not running the play the way it's designed, if he's pissing off the coaching staff, it you know it might not take an injury for Gingwell to get a shot. Um, and then you also have the injury factor. Sanders has had some injuries. So I feel like there are multiple ways for Gainwell to get in there, even though even money, I'm absolutely betting on Sanders. He's in the better position. But for me, at 185, 16th round, to get a guy like Gainwell, love it. Uh, then coming back around at 200 overall, same basic thought process. I'm hoping for Rashad Penny here because I feel like he has a ton of upside. Um, but Penny goes one pick before. So I end up with Chubba Hubbard. Not my favorite guy, uh, but love the situation. McCaffrey's had some injuries. I think Hubbard is next in line. 200 overall. I'm looking for upside anti-fragility type running backs. Perfect fit. Um, when I come back up at 209, now I want another running back here. I really do. And I might have taken one. Um, I was looking at Gallman um, or maybe Elijah Mitchell. Um, but I figure those guys might stay on the board for me. Pretty good chance. Um, so I went with Mo Ali Cox, who I feel like has a lot of upside. Um, you know, uh, Trey Burton's gone. You know, we know the other tight ends at Jag. Cox has had some knee stuff. We don't know if he's really going to be running, you know, as well as we want him to this year. But at 209 in the 18th round, Wentz is the quarterback there now. A strong guy who can deliver from the pocket. He likes hitting his tight ends. Uh, I feel like Mo Ali Cox in this tight end premium format made a ton of sense. Really liked making the pick. So now I've got four picks left. Okay. 
and we're going to wrap this up fairly quickly. I was looking at Gallman and Mitchell. When I come back around the next time, they're both on the board for me. I went with Mitchell's solidity and hoped a lie, excuse me, I went with Gallman's solidity, hoping that Mitchell would come back to me. I almost flipped it. It was really one of those, didn't know what to do, took Gallman, hoped for Mitchell, ended up getting both. So at 1908, I get Gallman. At 2005, I get Mitchell. And now, at this point, I actually have like as many running backs as tight ends. Dobbins, Carter, Edwards, Singletary, Gainwell, Hubbard, um, Gallman, and Mitchell. Gallman, Mitchell, as with Singletary, gives me a little piece of my quarterback too. Um, so that's nice if that breaks right for me. Um, so now I've only got two picks left. And the fight here is taking more swings at upside versus protecting some of my weak flanks. Now my weak flanks are a Josh Allen preseason injury, which would basically ruin my life, or an early season Josh Allen injury. Um, and my other weak flank for me was Noah Fant. If something, Noah Fant's a guy who's had some lower body injuries. If something happens to Fant in August, I'm sort of a dead man, you know, unless Mo Ali Cox ends up being a world beater. Um, so I was gonna take, and I have trouble with his name, Albert Ogumbam. Ogumbam, yeah, it's terrible, I'm sorry. I gotta get that right. Um, and I was looking at him and Mitch Trubisky, maybe taking both of them. Now when I come up, Van Jefferson is still on the board. So this is an opportunity for me to come up with an eighth receiver that I really like. I like Van Jefferson a lot. Um, and, you know, an injury or two on that team, and you never know what kind of role he might have. Um, you never know if this team could end up being more pass-heavy. There's a lot of things that can happen. So to me, to get that third receiver on this team, when Cup is coming off, you know, Cup has had injuries, um, Robert Woods is getting older, and I... I'm, I'm probably higher on Van Jefferson than most. So I really liked nabbing Jefferson there. I gave up on the ability to get Trubisky and Ekwubanamu. God, I'm just so bad on that name. I got, I apologize, folks. It's bad. Um, but I got him with the next pick. So I take OA, AO, the tight end from Denver. And why do I love this player? He's incredibly fast and athletic. Now, he is coming off of, of an ACL, but I feel that if something happens to Fant, Albert O steps right in um and so that's basically the rationale now probably this is you know a lot of these late players are guys who ends up end up getting cut you know it's just the nature of these picks so i want them to provide me with some protection during august um and oak Wugabudum gives me that um so that's 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 the squad um, and you know, like overall, I would say I'm pretty happy about it. Um, you know, I went in with the attitude that I wanted to put a team together where I felt like it had a shot to make the playoffs. I feel like I did that. Um, and then the second part, which was a little bit more of an emphasis, was I wanted to be a real player if I got there. And I feel like that part I did really well with. Um, and that, that's where I'm at with my team. As far as the rest of my league mates, it was a strong draft. I didn't really feel like anybody you know, really screwed themselves. I thought everybody had a pretty good approach. I didn't see a lot of really bad picks being made. So I, you know, I feel like overall nobody really nailed the draft. And that's not because people were drafting poorly. I think it's because everybody drafted well, um, which limits how well you can do, which is an interesting dynamic in this whole format. If you fall into the right division with a bunch of you know, mediocre drafters, that's where you get an edge on the people who are in the tougher divisions. And, and that is sort of an interesting um, aspect of the fishbowl uh, on the whole. Now, um, 
As far as the Pink Floyd division goes, I don't have time to go through every other team. We're almost at the hour mark. I was hoping I was going to be able to sort of go through each roster. That's going to be a little tough to do. But what I do want to do is, and I'm not going to go through my picks, look, Obviously, I like all of my picks, or I would not have made them. Uh, but I want to go through and just give some shout-outs to some of the better value picks that I saw throughout the draft. Um, the first one that really stood out to me was Jody Smith at 37. He got Mixon. I thought that was a really good pickup. Uh, Mixon, I think, has the potential to play like a first-round player. And again, that's just my whole draft philosophy is anytime you can draft a guy in one round who can play well ahead of that, that's a good pick. I think Mixon really falls into that category. Um, the next pick that really jumped out at me as being a pick that I liked, and maybe it's FOMO uh, because I almost took him earlier, but Javante Williams at 67. Um, now look, that may end up being just right about where he's worth, but he is he's the kind of player where all he needs is to take that gig or Melvin Gordon he gets a little dinged up or traded or whatever, um, and Williams becomes a really, really strong running back, potentially an RB1, um, and I love him that late. Uh, Bonnie also made a really good pick. Uh, I think with her next pick, she got Jamar Chase at 78, um, and then again at 102, Bonnie with Trey Sermon. So I thought Bonnie made the three best value picks in that portion of the draft. Um, you know, she took a lot of young players, but I think a lot of really good players. Um, so shout out to Bonnie on that. Uh, the next pick I really liked, and by the way, Javante was at 67, Jamar was at 78. She got Trey Sermon at 102. Um, I think I would have been jumping on him one or two picks later um, if I had been able to. Uh, Damian Harris at 106. Uh, that was Ken Moody. I liked that pick. I thought that was a, a real good chance that he nabbed a starting running back there really late. Uh, that's really good business. Um, I thought... Uh, Rich Havlick, who's drafting um, in a fan spot, but he's not drafting like no fan. Uh, he got Tyler Boyd at 107. I loved that. Um, next pick up, Jody Smith, Robbie Anderson at 108. I loved that. Um, and then uh, here's a pick. This might have been, for me, the best pick of the draft. Zach Wilson at 125 by Marcus Weber. Uh, good stuff, Marcus. Very impressive. Um, Jody Smith back again. Uh, for the third time at uh, 133, I thought the Taysom Hill pick was very savvy there. Um, and even better, Mac Jones at 172. Uh, Josh Fuster out of uh, Front Yard Fantasy. Josh, that's a hell of a value right there. Uh, Jody back again at 180, getting Jacoby Myers, who could end up being the most targeted Patriot, and you're getting him that late. That's really good business. Um, and just six picks later, a different kind of pick, an upside pick at the same position at 186. Terrace Marshall goes to Scott Simpson. I, you know, I just, if that ends up being a passing team, boy, that could be a great pick. Um, at 208, uh, Toby Zentek, hope you, hopefully I pronounced all of that right. Um, at 208, he grabs AJ Green. Uh, you know, I, I that could be the most targets after 200 players are off the board. I really, really like that pick. There's no risk, and you're getting AJ Green. Uh, 10 picks later, Walter Smith, who I thought had a really good draft. Overall, I thought he stuck to his philosophy. Um, I like the Salvin Ahmed pick at 218. I think there's a lot of upside in that pick. Uh, Ken Moody steps back in again with another at 226. Man, I love Nico Collins at uh, 226. That's just really good business. Um, um, Marcus Webster back again uh, twice with the last two. He grabs uh, Olamide Zacchaeus at 236. I love that. And really below the radar, I was looking at him, but I decided to protect myself at tight end. But I think Jarek McKinnon at 260, getting a, uh, a talented running back who's playing with uh, Mahomes in that offense, that's a really smart pick at 260. 
Um, so there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, what, uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, uh, eighteen, nineteen guys who I thought uh, were really good value. So uh, a shout out uh, to my league mates on all of those picks um, and on having a really good draft as a whole. Um, that is going to uh, do it for this episode of the Rotobomb Podcast. Uh, I'll have podcasts coming up next week and every week thereafter talking about all of our redraft stuff. Um, and we've got some guests coming up, so uh, that's that's good stuff as well. Um, so hopefully, um, for those of you who uh, listened to this whole podcast, it was enjoyable. Um, and uh, a shout-out to Scott Fish for this amazing fishbowl thing that we get to do every year. And once again, thanks to my Pink Floyd division mates uh, for making the draft a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully if I don't win it, one of you guys does. Um, and uh, with that, we will conclude this episode of the Rotobomb Podcast. Hope to see you all soon. Why it wasn't coming on Fader 11?